welcome to Architecture Talk Tang. I am Sara Colada, an architect and organizer of the Disrupt Symposium, the first of its kind business of architecture event, bringing to stage major architecture practices to cover topics related to entrepreneurship and practice operations within the AEC industry. I am an architecture business development consultant and my goal is to raise the financial well-being of architects through effortless business growth. Each podcast episode features an expert or thought leader from the AEC industry who shares their journey, challenges and advice. Now, let's dive into this episode and welcome our guest for an exclusive interview. This is Sarah Colata with Architecture Talk Tank. Today, my guest is Nathaniel Belcher, and I'm really excited. We're going to talk about architecture education and transitions. Nathaniel, thank you so much for joining me on this conversation. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's a pleasure. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Nathaniel. Where are you and what are you doing? I'm in Perth, Western Australia. I'm the head of school of the Curtin University School of Design and the Built Environment. I'm trained as an architect, educated in the U.S. and have been in different forms of administration. I am a licensed architect and mainly involved in professional education through both public and private institutions since 92, almost, I guess that's 30 years. Excellent. So interesting. And so you run the department and tell us a little bit more about the school and specifically the architecture department there. So I'm, I'm the head of the School of Design in the Built Environment, and the universities in Australia tend to be quite massive in organization. So I led, I am part of a faculty of uh, humanities, which involves the School of Education as well as the School of Design in the Environment, and a School of Media, Social Inquiry, and Creative Art. I am a school head of the School of Design and Built Environment. We have eight cognate areas that are part of the school, so that's urban regional planning, architecture, construction management, project management, geography, as well as design, several design disciplines, architecture, interior architecture, in the design areas, fashion, graphic design, animation and games, as well as digital experience websites, that sort of thing, interactive media. We tend to be a, I would say, a professionally oriented school, so we tend to do a lot of applied work with our education, but we're also a research center. So all of our staff in those, I would say professional academics in those areas do research. And we have a couple of research centers. One is the Sustainable Built Research Center, as well as the Curry University Sustainable Policy Institute, which is a research center concentrating on a lot of the energy and the sustainable transitions that are happening today. So I am an architect and I lead a lot of peer professionals and colleagues, some of which are educated with the same background, others that are far more scholarly. And we have, I would say, a really dynamic cross-disciplinary environment, both across, as with most major universities, it's service to teaching as well as and engagement, our impact in the real world. That's a lot of what we do. The university, I do think, offers unique and dynamic opportunity for the way in which both education, the tertiary sector or higher education, as it might be called in the United States, as well as 
the way in which we're going into new forms of, I would say, digital learning, online, blended teaching, learning experiences. So this university is really known for its technology and taking, as many youth universities have done, an accelerated path to online learning experiences, as well as new forms of technology. So the university spent a great deal of capital even before COVID and in the early times or the times before really converting a lot of the way in which we provide and deliver education such that we could deliver both face-to-face and online experiences and trying to create that as a real significant part of many new forms of delivery models, both for traditional educational areas as well as some new and emerging technologies. So that's a significant part of what we do. That's fascinating. I, you know, the topic of teaching online is very close to my heart. And I've noticed that throughout the globe, sort of a wave went through with online education emerging with COVID. And so it's fascinating to me that the university you work at already has been looking into these emerging technologies ahead of time. And I personally think that there's definitely a lot of benefits that come from it, where, you know, a lot of the knowledge needs to be repeated over the years, but also with an ability, for example, to access information on demand. It means that if you're not at your best, let's just say this particular Wednesday morning, you can watch it in the evening and maybe absorb information better. And in the same time, I think that at the moment when you get your tutors actually giving you one-on-one attention with design work, studio work, you can get a clear mind showing up for each other because people are not so exhausted by teaching and repeating information that otherwise can be actually made available on demand. Do you find that somehow to be true as well with your experience of blending mm-hmm. teaching with physical I find that it really depends on the type of discipline or the type of delivery or the content. So in some of our traditional lecture-based courses, that real live experience and a lot of professors are, have been taught and learned how to communicate information by interacting with, with a live audience and, and translating that directly into a video or into a sort of canned pre-recorded experience really has to deal with a lot of transition. And at the same time, some of our traditional experiences that might be associated with a studio experience where people spend much less time in a lecture format, but more in a kind of co-learning, co-design, cohabitating environment requires a different sort of synchronous and asynchronous model of education. And that means something very different depending on the discipline. A discipline like, I'll say, graphic design or even animation or some of our digital disciplines and have emerged technologies and really are embedded with cultures that are probably much more accessible to use of some of the advantages that come with social media. Whereas some of our traditional disciplines are really have to really think methodically. One of the things we've done here is we've developed real large and successful online accredited professional course in architecture. And it's one of the few in the country that's based on our program is accredited to give a bachelor's of architecture. And that's a unique offering that we bring. And it's not appropriate for many students. It's not the same as our face-to-face experience where students come in and live and are expecting much more of a kind of simulated studio experience might one would have. But it does offer ways for people to study that are in remote areas. It offers ways for people to yeah. study, as you said, where they work part-time or they work and they move at their own pace. 
I think that one of the struggles is always the way in which that system of traditional teaching and the systems of new emerging teaching really come out with the same credential in the end. And a lot of our institutions are not necessarily set up for all all of the emerging dispersed models of education that technology can bring. So you might be able to teach it, you might be able to teach it fast and furious, but are you able to get the same results or the outputs the same, are the same types of student experiences? Everything from the way in which you compensate the people that are teaching versus the way in which the students work, it's a very different experience to have what I had, which is a traditional studio experience where I worked with staff and I was spending on a regular basis some intensive times, you know, eight to 12 hours a week as a young designer with co- with my colleagues and with an instructor that very methodically put me through the paces of what it might, what the experience of being a young architect needed versus a kind of much more accelerated experience where that 12 hours a week experience is moved into a, a three hour intensive experience that is remote where you talk to someone intensely for a three-hour lecture once or twice a week and at the same time you might touch base with them informally with just a sort of nudge back and forth it's a different model of teaching so for both for the staff it's one thing because a lot of the staff were trained with traditional methods of instruction yeah and for the students it's a little different i think a student stepping into a professional degree or stepping into a new form of of uh, approaching being a young professional as a designer really doesn't have a preconceived expectation. They haven't been taught different ways. They're learning it for the first time. And many of these technologies, be it social media or something like streaming, are things that they've grown up with. So, And they don't know any different, so they're expecting it. It makes for a whole different set of values that end up being played out in the game of maturation to be a young designer how do you develop the skills and it's oftentimes just the soft skills the things that are really not as easily reproduced through a recorded lecture is the things that really do require a certain form of engagement and so as we rethink design education especially i we have to rethink how that engagement might reemerge, how we might how we might take that i think that's where the sort of advanced ideas around blended learning where you don't necessarily have as many direct hours where you're in a studio experience underneath the skylights working until 24 hours with your colleagues on the same project. But instead of that, you have intensive charrette type environments where you work really closely for a small period of time, either in a virtual or an engaged environment, but then you disperse and you come back more intensely or you have different ways of transferring different types of information. I do think that, that there are all sorts of advantages that come with the new forms of technology and we should be. Architecture Talk Tank is sponsored by the good people at Integrated Projects, a team of architects and technologists focused on the digitalization of the built environment. Did you know that there are more existing buildings in this world than websites? Yet only 0.0001% have been digitized. In response to this, the Integrated Projects team launched BIMIT to digitize any space imaginable. Offices, homes, mechanical spaces, you name it. Now any architect, engineers or reality capture specialist 
can convert their 3D scan into LOD 200 BIM just in hours, not weeks or months. Why does this matter? Well, now we can accurately view, verify and quantify the spaces that we design, build and operate. To learn more about BIMIT, visit www.integrated-projects.com forward slash Sarah Colada. Be aware of the opportunities that are coming from them. And I don't think that there's one, uh, I don't think it's a less than method for teaching online. I do think that for most institutions, they're obsessed with the productivity that comes with it, but they're not necessarily committed to the cost to develop the technology, the productivity. So they can yeah. see the advantage of a pre-recording, but you know, it might take less time, but the idea of flipping the course, which is a strategy where people say, where you rather than have the lecture, you have the lecture pre-recorded, but that does mean that one, when you do talk to the person, it's less of a prepared or lecture and it's much more of a direct call and response it's much more of an engagement and so that means the skills to teach are going to be different the way in which you might disperse education is also going to be different in a, in a world where those things are happening and the institutional infrastructure in many cases has been built up on the assumptions that we're going to teach in a very traditional method and until those new forms of education can really disrupt the legacy instructional models, it's really going to, it's going to be a little bit of a, a cat and mouse game. I had to see these changes take place. Uh, certainly. I think that with some respect, it takes a different way of thinking to adapt to it properly. And I think that the new generations that are stepping into the universe a bit more prepared to embrace technology in ways that perhaps for us, it's not so natural and it takes more adaptation. So once we know how the experience of learning architecture and teaching it in the analog format really feels and what are the benefits from it. We can adapt the technology and move into digital, but we will be knowing what we're missing or yeah. what's the difference. But I think, and I see that, for example, with my brother, he's 10 years younger, different generation. And for him to adapt to new things, it takes him so much faster. I will know that something new like TikTok emerges or, or, you know, NFT, for example, and I'll read about it a little bit, but it doesn't come as easy for me to absorb and adapt this new ideas as it is for him, even though we're just 10 years apart. So I think that in some respects, the more the new generations are sort of learn, learning to learn digitally and absorb information through video, through being connected online, etc. It makes it more intuitive for them to adapt to these methods as well. And I think that for scholars and people like you in the position where these decisions are being made about the quality of education and the experience, that's the real challenge to, on one hand, adapt to this emerging technology, on the other hand, not to lose the value of education, of how we know it. Yeah, and it's a big debate, is that exactly what that value is because for certain generations so just making the assumption that you have to start with the analog and go to the digital whereas a lot of the younger folks begin with 
digital learning at the beginning, at the start of many ways of thinking. And those two methods going back and forth might, you might, you don't necessarily assume that you need the analog first and the digital, where some aspects of learning might, might begin with the digital. The other thing is that a lot of these institutions are organized in such a way to try to tie you into a commitment of three, four years in that one institution. Whereas for a lot of people, what they're looking for is something that gives them a skill that could be transferable and that could be much more nimble. But the institutions are built around these long legacy methods of teaching. So in a lot of ways, it may be more successful to be a designer by getting a set of random certifications or erratic experiences in and out of practice versus a long five-year controlled experience where you must take class A, then class B, then class C. Those sorts of legacy systems really have to run up against opportunities that are much more dynamic. And I don't know what's going to force that change. I do think that some institutions will have, just because of the weight of their history or the power of their brands, a great deal control around that, whereas other institutions will be much more dynamic. And, and I don't know whether the students are going to force that change or whether the institutions themselves will do it. It does seem to be that, at least in, in many ways, the control and the market will determine to some degree what happens. Many universities that control a discipline, say like architecture, because of health, safety, and welfare, it's a highly regulated discipline that's managed by an accrediting board which means that the systems seem to be fixed, whereas some disciplines are much more dynamic. I'm sorry. Are you okay? No. Yes, of course, I'm okay. I just wanted to move something away from my cat that is eating from the tabletop. It's just small and, and still has to learn. So coming back to the conversation, I think you're really right that, you know, the movement of and the change of how this education is going to be delivered can come also from students. And I personally got my BA in architecture in a very traditional way, physical place and time, and indeed did everything in, you know, the three, four years I did actually foundation years, well, so four years together of education. And then for continuous, I actually adapted the model that you're talking about, where I took courses on digital marketing, on business and various topics that I felt I wanted to explore, even finance, because I, after getting my BA, I went into practice and I started my own charity where we were building and managing money and teams. And so I yeah. realized that I wanted to substitute on education. And so one of the reasons why a great advocate for these kind of models is that I find even at the university level doing courses that are shorter term, for example, three month course in digital marketing or team building or leadership, they can really substitute the lack of certain skills that we maybe don't get at architecture school, prepare us better for practice and for real life experiences, but don't take that much time or money to develop, right? So- right. I really enjoyed that model. However, there is still that sort of nuance of, you know, not having a fully qualified MA or, you know, master degree, but rather a bunch of courses that are diploma based. And so within architecture, I think very much so we always think about these longer term 
commitments towards education that then result in a academic degree and there is this whole importance of like how important is it for you do you you know is this the path to take as an architect or you know a student of any type of practice within the built environment to go and end up with an engineering or architecture degree or simply combine certain education methods so that you can get the experience and also practice in between because What's great within digital education is an ability for us to come in and out of university in a way and maybe take a year into practice and could be studying in the evening's time. So a little bit more of a flexible model, which I think with the high cost of education and low pay pay rates with architecture, it really works together. But it takes certain... So just to, to end the thought, like it takes a certain challenge for a person to decide which model is right for me, I find. Right. So one of the things I was going to ask you is for your generation, and as you think about this, do you think that your individual drive or your individual agenda about being not necessarily an architect, but being who Sarah wants to be is more important than the credential of an architect? The discipline of architecture, especially as it relates to public safety is often controlled by sort of massive infrastructure of regulation. And that infrastructure often wants to make sure that certain things, certain boxes are ticked. Whereas as an individual, you might find that you can access the tools you need in order to feel confident about what you want to do or to market your skill or to generate income. And that might have nothing to do with the certification of being an architect. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of paths where that could happen, but often what happens is that there's a kind of limit to what you can do with that, both as an architect, you can't really build over a certain scale. You can't have, also as a public servant, someone that's regulating and saying, this person knows what they're doing. It's just a certain amount of, I trust the person that has the degree slightly more than the person that doesn't. And I don't necessarily have a set of tools that would allow me to see that otherwise. Now, that's very different if you're a graphic designer, nothing against graphic design, but the health safety issues are going to be then if you're an architect or you're a structural engineer, or even if you're, say, a landscape architect and you're dealing with, you know, the movement of water in a flood zone, these things can have life implications for a planner. So as a society, we say, I want to make sure that there are minimum standards. I want to make sure that there's knowledge. So anybody that puts the word architect, planner next to the name, landscape architect, really has a certain body of knowledge that we as society deem is important. This episode of Architecture Talk Tank is brought to you by the MGS Global Group a team that provides on-demand CAD and BIM drafting, as well as renderings for architecture firms. In today's environment, with everyone experiencing a surge in projects and staffing challenges, MGS Global can deliver your drawings on time and within your budget. So why work with MGS Global? Their customer service is exceptional and they provide quality for value. They have completed over 5,000 projects worldwide, a testament to their work. Now you can focus on design and let MGS do the rest. Check them out at www.mgsglobalgroup.com. And 
that then puts a whole level of complicated set of requirements and burdens what we teach day to day in, in university. And I think that's something to keep in mind. But I do think that there will always be, there always have been a path for someone that chooses to proceed without it. The limitation may be that person may never be licensed. There are always examples of very successful designers and architects that never get the credential, but they actually serve and can find a market for their skills without it. But it is, it is a different level of risk. It uh, puts yourself out into the world, and it is in some ways, I would say, less. it might be an easier path in a way, but it does set up for a different way of thinking about what we do as designers and how we engage in the world. But people expect a lot of us. They expect us to be responsible and they expect us to, to protect them in a way. I think architects enjoy a relatively positive reputation because they trust us, not in all cases, but in most cases, they trust that we've been educated. And not that they want to pay for that. It's not the salaries maybe are equal to that, but there is a certain level of professional discipline that comes with that. But it does tend to regulate and control how we how we matriculate to the profession. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that it takes a tremendous amount of sort of will and really knowing where you want to go with your career to perhaps unplug as an architect or engineer from the traditional way of getting that diploma. Because the more time and energy you invest into that path, the harder it is to accept that perhaps I might not end up being licensed at the end of it. Because at the end of the day, when we go into studying architecture, we don't just go there to obtain a skill. We're also going there to get that recognition on paper that we are able to practice that particular craft. And, you know, I think this is where that difference is where you've mentioned graphic design, for example, in comparison to engineering or architecture, where indeed, um, I think nowadays even more so, more and more design can be generated really fast and people have access to easy ways of designing that perhaps when I went to school, the, these 10, 15 years ago was still a little bit more of a manual experience. Right. So what I find is, and I certainly for my own business, whenever I hire graphic designers, a lot of them are in their twenties, actually don't have degrees and have never went to university, but they're really good at what they're doing because they know Photoshop, for example, and yeah. understand the trends of design. And indeed that there is no implication of life or, or, or death situation right. and not the level of responsibility to take, for example, when building. And so I think that there is this added pressure on architects to continue the education. And hence, I, I always applaud new models of education emerging and seeing that availability of, for example, master's or BA degrees online not for everyone, but for people that, for example, started families yeah. early, needed to go to work, can't afford, live in a rural yeah. area. You know, all those sort of situations that are very real life scenarios for these people not to be, you know, incapacitated to be able to get a degree of that level, like architecture with credentials and everything. So it's, a, it's an exciting thing to see as these things change. I don't know where we're going to go with that. I do think that many architects are increasing their service profile and many are stepping away from only being credentialed around health, safety and welfare. And that's where it gets to be a lot more exciting. We also have a lot of people stepping in to the world of architecture. You know, Thomas Heatherwick 
is an example of someone who really has a different origin story and seems to be very fearless in the way in which he tackles every problem that an architect works for. And the architects in some way becomes a, a discipline that works within his fantasies. And we've always had that, that possibility. It's a hard road to go and it's really likely, but for some that may be the best possible way for them to act as a, in, in, in design practice. So. Absolutely. So from a perspective of someone who works already with all these new emergent technologies of education, how do you see, let's just say the future evolving? Do you think that there is a high potential that more of these models will emerge and will move away from campus or, or is just something that can run parallel and evolve as new technologies emerge and new possibilities for learning? I think it depends on the market in a weird way. As long as in most places, the number of seats for an market are directly or indirectly controlled by the state or by a sort of price structure that makes it less and less accessible, you will have a kind of a strange, I don't want to say invisible force, but something that will restrain it. As long as you need that credential. But I do think I know there are models for this in the U.S., and I know that there are ways in which there are alternative ways where you can get the credential to practice as an architect simply by showing you through the testing model or directly through the practice model or by having a, a sort of portfolio or a body of work where you create your own passion and people, aren't, people will bring others that will certify your buildings. That, that's always the case. But I do think that the education traditionally, especially a 17-year-old trying to step into it, will be directed to the same sort of players. The amount of, of seats, are the number of access to higher education is controlled in such a way that it tends not to allow for open access in a way that we might want. That competitive model changes from different contexts. The U.S. is very different than Europe. And in Australia, it's different again. The access points. Also, the expectation that this is the only path to enter, to build, to design. What that means to be an architect in a place like Nairobi versus Perth, Western Australia versus New York, New York, is really quite a sort of challenging provocation. You can't just sort of transfer one to the other. And when you are going into a real open atmosphere, if you are compelled as an evocation to make something to scale of a building, the way an artist is compelled to paint a painting, that's very different than if you're trying to provide a service like an accountant is within a bank. You know, you're really just showing a qualification and a skill. And that's where the evocation of designers or practice really can supersede whatever we're talking about in terms of regulation. But I do think the title architect, as long as it's a legal and controlled term, will also have a represent that limitation on the number of access points. And as long as that's the case, it's really going to control the ability of the discipline, the educational side to transform. And that's really where you see the tensions. Because many of these universities and many of these courses thrive on being, ex and you know, some have called them a kind of a luxury good. And as long as that's the case, you're really not creating a sort of open fair atmosphere. There are always models where people are trying to flatten that, that entry point, but the runway is pretty steep 
and it can be quite challenging for someone to do, it does tend to self-regulate who gets access and who can do it. You'll see this in terms of diversity. You see this in terms of gender. You see this in terms of the evolution of access. And we can say it's all just market-driven, but we know that there are regulations and other layers of forces behind that to do have a significant impact. But I think it's an exciting time. I do think in as much as the traditional players control the future, it will delay transformation, but we really can't predict the future. And I think it'll be exciting. Absolutely. I think so also. And I think that the way that the technology evolves is questioning ways in which we do things over and over again, almost every year, something new, and we adapt to it in such ways that sometimes we don't even look back at what we've just left behind. And it's one of those, this notion that is hard to predict, it can bring a lot of new, exciting ways, models and opportunities as well. And I think that's what, that's what's sort of fascinating in all of this, because, you know, historically we've seen academia very much hold that power of education within architecture being chartered and how that model looks like and the traditional way of implementation of that model maybe shows a little bit too much rigidity rigidity like it's too rigid Um, there's a lot of rigidness in the way in which we do things yeah Um, and i think that's going to change whether we want it to or not but I do think as the discipline and as the practice becomes disseminated, I do think generally people are, especially in terms of contemporary ideas of what architecture can be, people are asking more of what architects do. And that's always a good sign as expectations are raising. That might be just a viewpoint from a developed context, but I do think that there are real opportunities to make and remake the world, whether it's around sustainability or it's just around the fact that there's such a real need for effective housing in mm-hmm. many parts of the world. So all those challenges, the urbanization of the world, all those things are going to come screeching back and we'll be a place to, uh, to do something about. Absolutely. Nathaniel, thank you so much. Thanks for, for your time. Yeah, thank you for joining me and sharing. It's a really fascinating time and it's great to get also an insight from someone who has already worked on both levels, you know, both within the digital realm of delivering that education, but also in the more analog experience and seeing how all of this evolved as well now with Corona, where the whole world was forced to adopt a certain way of learning and exchanging information that in some ways, I think a lot of these models will remain and we won't give up or go back to what it used to be. So I think that there is certainly a trend of adapting throughout throughout together like globally on a level of architecture education and i think with all of this there is a there is it's an interesting time to live in because it's that transition that we're going through and thanks for inviting me and best of luck with your project i think it's uh, good to have these conversations and i hope that you are getting the responses that will help us make this a much better discipline in the long run Absolutely. Yes. Likewise. Thank you so much, Nathaniel. And I shared your LinkedIn details in the, in the description of the video. So if anyone wants to connect, I believe that's the best way to find you online, right? Yes, sure. Excellent. 
Wonderful. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Nathaniel. Okay. Thank you guys. Okay, all the best. All the best. Architecture Talk Tank has its own frequency. We're not a regular podcast, but we are here for you, always. If you have a suggestion for a guest or have a story that others in this community can benefit from, please contact me via social media or email me directly at me at saracolada.com. To sign up for my newsletter, simply go to the website saracolada.com. I am on Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. You can find me by typing my name, Sarah Colada. Come say hi. I'm always excited when you reach out. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.